0: In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Seerah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics so this winter inshallah join me in Dallas Texas alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity the mercy to mankind the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam go to siraintensive.com to register or for more info bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa Insha'Allah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Asiratul Nabawiyyah, the prophetic biography. We left off in the previous session towards the beginning of the eighth year of Hijrah, the eighth year of the Prophet sallallahu sallam's residence in the city of Medina. So we talked about some of the events that unfolded there in the early part of the eighth year, most notably Amr bin al-Asr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Uthman bin Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, them basically coming to Medina and accepting Islam. And what we're going to be talking about today um, is something that occurred um, a little bit towards the middle of the year. Basically, Ibn Ishaq and many other scholars of the seerah, they mentioned that in the month of Jumadul Ulah. ula in the month of Jubadul al-Ula, so Muharram safar the two months of Rabi'ah and then Jumadul al-Ula in the fifth month of the eighth year of Hijrah. The Prophet ﷺ received news of the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire putting together, deploying an army of a hundred thousand soldiers. And not only that, but there were some of the tribes, the Arab tribes within the region, some of the Mushrik Arab tribes within that northern region, that bordered with Bilad Sham, that they were also they had amassed and recruited another fifty thousand fighters from those Arab tribes, so. Uh, Ibn Ishaq, Al Waqidi, many other scholars of the Sirah, they bring together all the different narrations. Some narrations mention 100,000, some mention 200,000. But um, Ibn Kathir ta'ala says that the smallest number that has been related in the books of history, in the books of Sirah is 150,000 soldiers. 100,000 from the Roman Empire, professional soldiers, if you will, and 50,000. Uh, recruits from the Arab tribes of that region. So the Prophet ﷺ receives this news, this intelligence of this gigantic army amassing and basically gathering together with, this, with its eyes set on Medina. The Prophet ﷺ at that time to respond to this very serious threat, he recruited about 3,000 sahaba, 3,000 Muslims. And after recruiting them together, the Prophet ﷺ told them to basically prepare, uh, put together their supplies, and basically prepare to embark on this journey. To travel to the north, to face off, to cut off this army, and then engage this army if necessary. Now we'll talk more about exactly what transpires within the battlefield itself but this battle it's basically referred to as ghazwatu mu'ta mu'ta now a couple of technical things i'd like to explain why is it called mu'ta it's called mu'ta because of the place where the battle ended up occurring that was the name of the town that was the name of the qariya was Mu'tah. That's where the battle actually occurred. Even though the Muslims when they first arrived, they had encamped at another place and the Roman army had encamped at another place. But by the time they met in the battlefield, they faced off. That battle actually occurred at a place called Mu'tah. And that's why it's known as the Battle of Mu'tah. Secondly, the word that, the, the title for this event from the life of the Prophet is very popularly Ghazwa. Ghazwa to Mu'tah. Now, if somebody might recall from just their own study or something else, they've, you know, maybe having attended a Seerah class, but particularly in this class, if you go back in the series, we had talked about the technical terminology when it comes to the science, the study of the prophetic biography. And we had studied two terms in particular. The first word was Ghazwa, the second word was Sariya. The word Ghazwa in the Arabic language, or in the science of Sira particularly, excuse me, it refers to an expedition, a campaign, in which the Prophet ﷺ himself took part. He accompanied the Muslims and went himself. The second word that we studied was Sariyah. The word Sariyah, based Saraya is a plural of it, is when the Prophet ﷺ sent out the Sahaba on an expedition or a campaign. Now this particular expedition, the Prophet himself did not go to Mu'tah, but he sent the Sahaba there. So why is it popularly known as Ghazwa? So this is just a matter of the fact that the word Ghazwa does have a general linguistic meaning. Any expedition and campaign, particularly one that involves actual engagement, actual fighting, can be referred to ghazwa. So it just popularly became known. It became, as they say, kind of uh, common on the tongues of the people as ghazwa, and that's why it became popularly known as ghazwa to mu'tah. That's the first thing. The second thing is, it was from the noble prophetic practice. It was from the practice of the Prophet ﷺ that he would accompany, even if he was not going on the journey himself, he would accompany the Muslims outside of Mecca, and then he would, uh, excuse me, outside of Medina, to send them off. And when they return back home, he would himself leave Medina, go outside of Medina a little bit to receive them back. So by virtue of that, they, the Prophet would be with them for at least a very small part of the journey and thereby validating the usage of the word ghazwa. Nevertheless, this is the ghazwa of Mu'tah. That's the first thing. Now, this particular event is notable for a few different reasons. And there are a few different very uh, noteworthy aspects or portions or stories from this particular event. So inshallah I'll be highlighting those particular details. The first thing that it's very notable for is the Prophet ﷺ, he appointed leaders for this particular expedition, this campaign. And the Prophet ﷺ appointed three leaders in particular three people who were in charge of the army. And this is very notable for a particular reason. The first of them, and there are multiple narrations that talk about this, the first amongst them was Zayd ibn Haritha. Now Zayd ibn Haritha, radiallahu ta'ala anhu was like the adopted son of the Prophet wasallam. He's somebody that we've talked about very notably previously. And we've talked about his biography extensively in the beginning, uh, towards the early part of the seerah, because he was one of the first three or four people to accept Islam. He was amongst the first four people to accept Islam because he was being raised within the home of the Prophet So Zayd bin Haritha ﷺ was very beloved to the Prophet And the Prophet ﷺ had a lot of faith and a lot of trust in him. He was appointed as a leader of the army. The Prophet then commented, he said, Zayd ibn Haritha Amirun Nas, Fa'in Qutila Zaydun, Fa Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. Ibn Abi Talib. The Prophet said, if Zayd is to fall in battle, then it shall be Ja'far bin Abi Talib, who was the first cousin of the Prophet. Alright? And Ja'far bin Abi Talib who uh, was the first cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, and very extremely beloved to the Prophet ﷺ. Jafar bin Abi Talib, who we've talked about previously as well, because he was amongst the first early converts to Islam. And him and his wife, Asma bint Ti'umais, they had migrated, they had performed the first migration to Habasha, to East Africa, to Abyssinia. And he was basically appointed by the Prophet ﷺ to be the caretaker, to be the leader, the imam of the community there in Abyssinia. And he had a very close personal relationship with an Najashi that we have highlighted before and we've talked about previously. So when he returned back, in fact the Prophet ﷺ had such love for him that when he returned back and at the time of Khaybar, the Prophet ﷺ said that, La Aderi, I do not know if I am more happy by the victory of Khaybar, or by Bi Ja'far, or by Ja'far returning back to us. And the Prophet very famously commented in the Hadith of Bukhari about Ja'far bin Abi Talib, You most resemble me not only in my features, in my looks, but also in my character, in my conduct. And there's no greater compliment that can be given to anyone. That was Jafar bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And the Prophet had a lot of love for him. He was about 10 years senior to his younger brother Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he was Ali's older brother, about 10 years his senior. So the Prophet ﷺ said, if Zayd is to fall, then it shall be Jafar who will lead the army. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, in قُتِلَ Ja'far If Jafar falls then it will be Abdullah bin Rawaha. Who is Abdullah bin Rawaha? We've also talked about him previously. He was one of the leaders of the Ansar. He was a Medinan Muslim, an Ansari Muslim from the tribe of Khazraj. He was amongst the early Medinans to accept Islam. He had attended the first Aqaba, the first time where the Medinan Muslims gave the Oath of Allegiance. To the Prophet. And he was appointed by the Prophet النقابة, from amongst the 12 leaders of the community, the early community of Muslims in Medina. And he was somebody the Prophet relied upon, trusted very, very. Uh, the Prophet relied upon him frequently and had a lot of trust placed within him. In fact, Abdullah bin anhu was a poet and he was also known as a warrior. He was a warrior poet. A very gifted man, a very uh, trustworthy leader of his people, a man of great integrity, and he had attended, he had participated in the Battle of Badr, the Battle of Uhud, the Battle of the Trench, the Battle of Khaybar, in every single expedition he had been by the side of the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ then says, "If Jafar falls, then it shall be Abdullah bin Wahha who leads the army." Now, this is something that's a very notable part of this particular event, that the Prophet appointed these three people. And then the Prophet said that, فَإِن قُتِلَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ روحة, If Abdullah bin Rawaha falls, الْمُسْلِمُونَ بَيْنَهُمْ رَجُلًا عَلَيْهِمْ Then the Muslims should consult and assign somebody to lead them, and then that person will be their leader going forward for the rest of the battle. Now, there was a man, Al-Waqidi mentions there was a man by the name of An-Nu'man ibn Funhus. An-Nu'man ibn Funhus, who was a Jewish man. And he was a very knowledgeable member of the Jewish tribes. Right, Consider him like a rabbi, if you will. And he heard the Prophet ﷺ making these comments. So after he made these comments, Nu'aman he said, Abal Qasim, in إِن كُنْتَ نَبِيًّا فَلَوْ سَمَّيْتَ مَنْ سَمَّيْتَ قَلِيلًا kathiran usibu jami'an. He says, "O oh, Abu al-Qasim, referring to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Muhammad." He says that if you are truly a prophet of God, then everyone that you have named, whether they be a few or many, all of them will fall in the battle. In al-ambiyaa min banis <laughs> Ra'ilah kano ida sammu al-rujul al-qami, fakaloo in usiba fulanun fufulanun, falas sammu. أُصِيبُوا جَمِيعًا He said, in the, in the, amongst the prophets of Banu Israel, the prophets of the past, our prophets, he said that amongst them, if they would appoint a person uh, as in charge of an army, and if after that they would say, and if this person is to fall, then it will be so and so, and then even if they named a hundred people after that, even if they named a hundred people after that, they would all fall in the battle. This is noted about the prophesizing ability of the prophets and messengers of the past. So then, the same person, the Prophet did not comment on this person's you know, commentary. The Prophet did not say anything. So then this person goes to Zayd bin Haritha and he says, fa فَإِنَّكَ لَا تَرْجِعْ أَبَدًا He says, prepare, because you will not be coming back home. In كَانَ Muhammadun Nabiyan if Muhammad is truly a prophet, you will not return back home. And Zaid bin Haritha says what? He didn't freak out, he didn't fret, he didn't say, oh my God, what are you saying? He said, "Ashhadu أَنَّهُ nabiyun sadiqun بَرْوٌ I don't know about the first part of your commentary, but what I can tell you is, I testify fully to the fact that Muhammad wasallam is a nabi, he is a prophet, he is truthful, and he is righteous. What he says is true. There's no doubt about that. As for your commentary, I don't know. So that's the first thing that it's particularly known for. Now, after the Prophet ﷺ appointed the, these three leaders and basically told the army prepare and send them on their way, when people were when this army was setting out and people were bidding them farewell, Abdullah bin Rawahah anhu he started to cry, and somebody asked him, "Ma yubkika Ibn Why do you cry?" And he says, He said, I don't cry because of my love of my material things, nor do I cry because I'm gonna miss you people that much. Alright? He says, الله الله I heard the Messenger of God reciting a verse from the Quran, from the book of God, nar" that talks about the fire of hell, in which Allah says, That each and every single one of you will pass the fire of hell. Will cross over the fire of hell. Each and every single one of you. كَانَ عَلَىٰ رَبِّكَ حَتْمًا مَقَضِيًّا This is a firm promise from God, from Allah, from your Lord, from your Master, from Allah, from your Rabb. That each and every single one of you will pass the fire of hell. And then he goes on to say, فَلَسْتُ أَدْرِي كَيْفَ لِي بِالصَّدْرِ بَعْدَ الْوُرُودِ I don't know what's going to happen to me when it comes time for that crossing, that passing. That, will I make it or not? Will I succumb to the fire of hell? Or will I be saved and salvaged and rescued? It's a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. A man who put his hand in the hands of the Prophet ﷺ and said, I give you my oath of allegiance. And the Prophet accepted his oath of allegiance and said, I trust you to be a leader in my community. Such a man. This is a man about whom the Prophet placed so much trust and he puts him in charge of an army. This is a person who used to go to the masjid of the Prophet and tell people, Ijlis mina nu'minu sa'atan. Let us sit for a few moments and refresh our faith in our iman, talk about God, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like this is such a person. But look at the awareness, the cognizance, the spirituality, the reality. Where he says that Allah is saying in the Qur'an, وَإِمْ مِنْكُمْ إِلَّا Each and every single one of you have to cross hell. I don't know if I'll make it or not. I'll make it across or not. You know, think about it in worldly terms how if somebody says, you know what, I'm set, I got it made, my future's set, I'm financially secure, I'm independent, I don't have nothing to worry about. We say, whoa, 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 that's not a healthy attitude. You should be vigilant. You never know when the market could turn. We call such a person very aware, very cognizant, very intelligent. But we're so heedless, so asleep, so numb spiritually when it comes to the hereafter, that such a thought would never even cross our mind. And he says that I'm really worried about my fate. And so, the narration basically goes on to talk about the fact that the army departs Thursday evening, Thursday afternoon, the Prophet ﷺ sent them out. They depart. And they get... You know, the the Prophet would do this, kind of send them out a little bit later, sometimes in the day even, so that they could just go ahead and just leave, just depart. Even if by the time they got together it was afternoon time, where it makes sense they can't travel a lot at night, especially an army that's large. So instead of just staying one more extra night, he would just send them, go ahead and just depart. Just so that nobody would then second guess themselves, nobody would doubt, nobody would get pulled back, just depart. And they would go a little bit outside of Medina if that's what they could do. The Prophet would accompany them out. And they would encamp outside of Medina, a little ways outside of Medina, but that was good enough. And then the next morning they could get an early start on the day. So that's exactly what happens. Now it's Thursday. Abdullah ibn Awaharadiallahu ta'ala anhu. He had a very fast horse. He was known as having maybe the fastest horse in Medina. So what happened was he decided not to leave Thursday evening. He said, Let me stay. Not to spend another extra nights, you know, at home or whatever the case may be. The idea there was that tomorrow's the day of Friday, Jumu'ah. I will pray Jumu'ah with the Prophet, ﷺ. I will listen to his beautiful voice and his timeless advice. I will attend a khutbah given by the Prophet, ﷺ. one last time. I will pray Jumu'ah, Friday, behind him one last time. I will see his beautiful face one last time. And then my horse is so fast, plus when an army of 3,000 people are traveling, they travel slower. My horse is so fast, I'll catch up with them. I'll spend Friday night with them. I'll catch up easily. So he says, the Prophet saw him. On the day of Friday, he saw him during the Jumu'ah prayer. فَجَمَّعَ He prayed Jumu'ah with the Prophet and the Prophet saw him. Why, why, why did you stay back? Why, ما, ما منعك أن تغدو مع أصحابك what, what prevented you from leaving with your, with your companions? So he says, أن أصلي معك الجمعة. ثم ألحقه. Right? I wanted to pray one last Jumu'ah with you and then I'll join up with them easily. أجمع معك I want to pray Jumu'ah with you, O Messenger of Allah. The Prophet Sallam at that time said to him, that one morning or one evening spent in the path of God, serving the deen of Allah, is better than this whole world and whatever it contains. In another narration, the Prophet said to him, That if you spent all the wealth in this earth, in charity, You would not attain the reward and the virtue that your companions attained by spending half a day more in the path of Allah than than you did. A profound lesson from the Prophet And there's something very interesting here. That there's the idea of personal spirituality. Now, I want to talk about this very clearly. There's personal spirituality and then there is serving the greater cause, the community. Now, we have two extremes. One extreme will always lead to the other. Keep that in mind. The Prophet warned us about ifrat and tafrit. One extreme will lead to the other. We have two extremes in our community. There are those who sacrifice serving the community for personal spirituality. They don't serve the community. There's no focus on preaching and teaching. There's no focus on serving, rolling up your sleeves, getting out there, helping people, talking to people, serving people, caring for people, making this world a better place. What were the qualities of the Prophet that Khadija mentioned? Tasilul Rahim, you're good to your family. You maintain family relations. Taqrid Daif, you are hospitable to your guest. تَحْمِلُ You lift the downfall and up. تَكْسِبُ You feed those who can't feed themselves, you take care of those who can't take care of themselves. الحق, you always help in any good cause. So, there are those who will sacrifice all of that, neglect all of that, for the sake of some idea perceived, individual, personal spirituality. Hours upon hours of, you know, Personal individual worship, which it almost sounds kind of strange. It's like you're you're criticizing someone for praying. But if it comes at the expense, if you're watching, if you're if you're ignoring the whole world burning down around you, while mashallah, you're enjoying your nawafil, then yes, it's absolutely criticism. It's absolutely worthy of criticism. It's very problematic. But that also can result in the that extreme leads to the opposite extreme. What is the opposite extreme? A complete neglect of any type of personal, spiritual connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for public service. Where now I'm so invested into some particular public communal cause that I don't even have any time for even my fara'id. I'm neglectful of my fara'id. I don't make any time to be able to open and read the Qur'an, the book of Allah. I have no time for actual personal du'a. I haven't learned a single word of my deen, of the Quran, of the book of Allah, you know, in maybe years. So that's also an extreme problem, uh, another problematic extreme. And the balance, as always, ummatan wasata, right? The balance, what's, what, what we need is what's in the middle, where there is a fixed regimen of personal spirituality, but there is still a very a constant. Alertness, awareness of our communal responsibilities and obligations in serving of the community, serving of humanity. is very, very important. But here, the Prophet is basically teaching us there is a time and a place for everything. When it's time to pray, then pray. Then, if I'm standing outside, now that's problematic. But when it's time to go out there and roll up your sleeves and do work, now if I'm in here praying, now that's problematic. Understanding the time and the place and the situation for everything. That that's what the Prophet ﷺ was teaching is a very valuable lesson here. Nevertheless, the army departs. They get to the place like I had mentioned previously. Over there, they're faced with 150,000 soldiers. There's 3,000 of them. So they stopped there for two days and they basically said, what do we do? And they said, maybe we should send a message back to the Prophet ﷺ. They spent two nights camped out. Maybe we should send a word back to the Prophet ﷺ. That these are the circumstances we're facing and maybe he can send reinforcements for us or maybe he'll tell us to go forward, maybe he'll tell us to come back. Let's just further more consult with him. Abdullah bin Wahab radiAllahu taala anhu. At that point in time, not that there was any problem with consulting the Prophet sallallahu but what was also understood was this was more of kind of like second guessing oneself. The Prophet sallallahu had already talked about it very, very clearly what he expected of the Sahaba radiAllahu anhum. So at this particular time, Abdullah bin Wahab radiAllahu taala anhu he motivates the people and he says, "Aqam, O my people, takrahuna." What you are now so afraid of is the thing that brought you out here in the first place, and that is a shahada. Making the ultimate sacrifice for what is right, what you believe in, what is true, what is correct. ولا ولا we never stood our ground based off of our numbers or our strength or our might. That's not why we ever. That's not why we ever took a stand. Wa manu We always took a stand because of what we believed in. Alladhi Allahu That God honored us with the truth, with what is right, with fairness, with justice, with integrity, with honor, with dignity. That's why we always stood for what we stood. al So let's go now. Because this story only ends in one of two ways, and both are good endings. إِمَّا Either we are able to bring the truth and justice and dignity to humanity, we overcome our enemies, or we lose our lives serving what we believe in, fighting for the cause that we believe in. So this only ends in a good way. So what are you so afraid of? So at that point the people they move forward, and basically the Muslims go and face the enemy, and at that point in time they face off, they meet the army, and they begin to fight them. Now, as the fight here begins, something very interesting happens. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention: Abu Huraira radiallahu taala anhu, he was there, he accompanied them. On this particular journey. And he says that when we got to the battlefield, when we said, okay, let's go, and we went and we faced off against this gigantic army in the battlefield, we got close enough where we could see them. لا we saw, you know what, we couldn't believe. We saw that they were prepared and they were armed and they had weapons and they were wearing, you know, shiny, you know, armor and silk and just, you know, gold trimming on their armor. Like we saw how elaborate this army was. And he says, فَبَرِقَ basari." For a moment, I got kind of overwhelmed. Like we would say, our expression for "fabbariq our expression is that my jaw was kind of like, my mouth was open. My jaw like fell on the ground. Like, really? I had that look on my face. And he says that Thabit bin Arqam, Thabit ibn Arqam radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was a senior companion, Abu Hurair radiallahu ta'ala anhu had just accepted Islam not too long ago. But a senior companion, Thabit bin Arqam, who had been Muslim for a very long time, from the early days. He saw the look on my face. He saw my mouth kind of open. So he said, Ya Abu Huraira, ka'anna katara jumu'an kathira. He says, kind of close your mouth, Abu Huraira. You You look like as if you've seen multiple armies. Not one army, but multiple armies. Pultu na'am. Oh, that's exactly what I'm looking at. Have you looked? Have you seen? He says, Thabit تنسس أبو هريرة إِنَّكَ لَمْ تَشْهَدْ مَعَنَا بَدْرًا You didn't attend Badr with us. You did not attend Badr with us. لَمْ نُنْصَرْ بِالْكَثْرَةِ We have never won because of our numbers. We've never won because of our numbers. So the battle starts. Now one thing I wanted to mention, as the battle here begins... There's another scene that's playing out back in Medina. The Prophet ﷺ comes out into the masjid, he sits down on the minbar, he tells Bilal, make an announcement, gather the people. And so the announcement they used to make to gather the people was as-salatu jami'atun, which basically was code for everybody get together in the masjid. As-salatu jami'atun. They made the call. Everybody congregated in the masjid. And the Prophet ﷺ was sitting on the minbar. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said that Allah has removed the distance of the land like for me, and I can see them in the battlefield. He says, I see their battle. And the Prophet ﷺ starts to tell them what's transpiring in the battlefield. And the Prophet ﷺ, as he begins to talk to them about what's transpiring in the battlefield, the Prophet ﷺ says, أُصِيبَ Zaidun. usiba Zaydun. Zayd has fallen. And there's this, and there's pain in the voice of the Prophet ﷺ. Love them like a son. And there's this audible, like just this groan in the room. They lost one of their older brothers. And then the Prophet ﷺ says, فَحَمَلَ al <الْلِوَعَة> Jafar has picked up the flag. And Jafar bin Abi Talib, radiallahu taala continued fighting valiantly. And the narration specifically mentions, That Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala finally got into a spot in the battlefield where he got surrounded by the enemy. And they came in at him. And they basically severed his right hand. They cut off his right hand. And Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala took the flag in his left hand. And then somebody came and cut off his left hand. And he had the stubs of his arms that remained. He grabbed the flag and held it to his chest. And then they all collapsed in on him. Until he finally fell. After the battle, Abdullah bin Umar Anuma was also at the battle. He says that I counted the wounds and I counted more than fifty wounds on Ja'far's body. And this is the Prophet when he relayed that Usiba Jafar, Ja'far has fallen. The Sahaba say that the voice of the Prophet quivered. This was his brother, his cousin. And the Prophet ﷺ felt the pain. And again, there was just this audible, just groan in the room. And then the Prophet ﷺ was quiet for a little bit. And everyone got worried. Is Abdullah already gone? Has he already fallen from before? What's gonna happen now? And the reason why the Prophet ﷺ was a little quiet and silent, we go back to the battlefield. What happened was that Abdullah bin Rawaha رضي الله anhu he heard somebody calling his name. He was in the battlefield, but he heard somebody calling his name. Abdullah, where are you? We need you. Jafar has fallen. And Abdullah bin Nawah, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was going to grab the flag, the banner, to lead the army. He had a moment's hesitation. Just a little moment's hesitation. And he caught himself and he said, Whoa, what's this? Why are you hesitating. He kind of spoke to himself in some couplets, they're related, أقسم, uh, أَقْسَمْتُ يَا نَفْسُ لَتَنزِلَنَّا لَتَنزِلَنَّا أَوْ لَتُكْرِهَنَّا He said to himself, you will go, or you will regret not going. إِنْ أَجْلَ مَنَّاسُ من وَشَدُّوا الرَّنَّةِ Araki لِأَرَاكِ تَكْرَهِينَ الْجَنَّةِ People have gone out into the battlefield and he's kind of talking to himself, why is it that you resist paradise that Allah has promised you? He said that you should submit to the will of Allah. Because remember that you are nothing but, you were talking to himself as a human being, that originally speaking, you were just a dirty drop of fluid, a drop of filth. And he kind of motivates himself, and then he goes forward, picks up the banner, and then engages. And then the Prophet says, Faakada Abdullah Aliwa, and there's like this audible sigh of relief in this room. And Abdullah bin Rawah radiallahu ta'ala continues on fighting until he finally falls as well. And the Prophet uh, and it also mentions, excuse me, that as he's going into the battlefield, after he's talking to himself, his cousin, Abdul ibn Waha's cousin, who's there in the battlefield, comes up to him and he says, cousin, cousin, you haven't eaten something. They're calling on you, you're gonna have to go and lead, you haven't eaten anything. And so here, eat something before you go out into the battlefield. Just it'll give you the strength to fight, to do what you gotta do. So he says that he takes the the, the the piece of meat, there's a bone with meat on it, he takes it and he starts to eat it, and then he kinda thinks to himself that what's going on out there and you're sitting here eating worried about your belly? And then he just tosses it aside and he runs into the battlefield and he also finally falls and makes the ultimate sacrifice. Now the Prophet ﷺ says, Usiba Abdullah." He has also fallen. And again, the Prophet ﷺ becomes quiet. And what's happening back in the battlefield is that after Abdullah bin Rawaha falls, Thabit bin Arqam, since he's a senior companion, he picks up the banner and he says, "Okay, now who's going to lead us?" So some so some of the people around there say, "You, you go ahead." And he says, "La, It's not my no no no. I'm not the person meant to lead. It's not me. So people, they start talking. Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, we talked about his Islam in the previous session. He was a very new convert to Islam. He had gone with the army. He's there, keeping a very low profile, being very quiet, very humble, in spite of being a military mastermind. Maybe one of the greatest warriors of his generation, if not the greatest. Keeping a very low profile, very humble. That I'm new to the religion, I'm new to the faith, I'm still learning my belief, and they realize Khalid is in their midst, and they say Khalid, it's you, it's got to be you, and he tries to resist, and they say no, it has to be you. So finally, Khalid bin Walid ta'ala anhu, he takes the banner, and he leads the army, and going back to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. After the Prophet is quiet for some time, the Prophet, by this time the narration mentions the narration of Bukhari. The Prophet says that when he said Zayd fell, then Ja'far fell, then Abdullah fell, by this time the eyes of the Prophet are flowing with tears. Tears are streaming down his face. He lost three of the most beloved people to him. Tears are streaming down his face, and then the Prophet says, that أخذ الرّاية سيف من الله. That a sword from the swords of God has now taken the banner, and that was Khalid bin Walid radiallahu taala anhu. And he takes the banner, and at this particular time, what he does, being the military mastermind, the strategic mastermind that he is, he kind of regroups the entire army who is now scattered about. It almost looks kind of like a retreat. He kind of rides back off to the side, and he calls everyone to him. And the entire Muslim army kind of like retreats, pulls out from the battlefield, gathers along with him onto the side, and then he regroups everyone, and this does two things. Number one, it helps everyone regroup. Number two, a lot of the enemy starts to think and assume the Muslims are retreating. Well, khuda, the prophet said, "War is deception. It's strategy. It's games. And so now what happens? Because a lot of the army, the enemy army starts to let their guard down, thinking the Muslims are retreating, Khalid ibn Walid regroups everyone, then then he attacks from the side. And the Muslims are able to actually tear through the army, dispersing the army, splitting it up into different groups, and the enemy army eventually retreats. Hatafatahallahu alayhim. Hadith Bukhari Anas ibn Malik says, until Allah granted them victory the enemy retreated. Now, after all of this happens, the Muslims, they return back to Al-Madinah al Munawwarah. They come back to Medina. One of the narrations mentions that some of the Muslims, like they, they sent a messenger ahead. To, kind of to Medina, ahead of the army that was coming back. They sent a messenger ahead to kind of give the news that they were coming back. Now the Muslims in Medina had witnessed this miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, relaying to them everything as it occurred, as it happened. When this messenger arrives back, he arrives back to people asking him questions about what had happened in the battlefield. He said, wait a second, how do you know what happened in the battlefield? He says, well the Prophet ﷺ told us. He said, that's, that's remarkable. And the Prophet he comes to the Prophet and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi says that he says, Before I give you the news of what happened, they said you already informed them of what happened. The Prophet said, Let me tell you. And the Prophet tells him step by step what happens. And he confirms everything as the Prophet is narrating it. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed me to see what was unfolding in the battlefield. But now that the army returns back, I, I forgot to mention this as well. Apologize. But Khalid bin Walid, you know what we talked about, Allah granted them the victory. In a hadith of Bukhari, Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anhu, he says, He said, On the day of mu'tah, I broke nine swords. I broke nine swords. What that means is he fought so hard that he broke nine swords fighting on the day of Mu'tah. That was Khalid bin Walid. Nevertheless, after Allah granted them that victory, they returned back. The Prophet ﷺ, he goes outside of the city of Medina to welcome them back. And as the Prophet ﷺ goes outside to welcome them into the city of Medina, The Prophet ﷺ, he is welcoming them back. But many of the children, many of the children of those who had gone in the battle, they have come outside to kind of welcome their brothers, their fathers back, back home. And many had fallen during this particular time. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he tells his companions radiyallahu ta'ala anhum he says that ihmalu hadhihi the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he tells the sahaba radiyallahu ta'ala anhum that pick up these children khudhu as-sibyana pick up these children and then he says wa'atuni ibna ja'far Hand me the son of Ja'far. He was sitting on his ride on his animal. He said, hand me the son of Ja'far. The older son of Ja'far, Ja'far bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala, who had two sons, Abdullah and Muhammad ibn Ja'far. So the older son was there, Abdullah ibn Ja'far. He says, hand me the son of Ja'far. So somebody handed him to the Prophet picked him up, It was a boy, small boy, he handed him to the Prophet Some The Prophet put him on the ride in front of him. He put him on the ride in front of him. And then he told the rest of the Sahaba, Khudu as Sibyan. Similarly, those who have fallen, whose sons, whose children are out here looking for their fathers, pick them up. Pick those children up. Put them on the, on the ride on the animal with you. Comfort them, console them as they begin to realize that their fathers are not coming home. But as the Prophet is Abdullah bin Ja'far in front of him and he starts riding back, one of the sons of Ali bin Abi Talib. Hassan or Hussein, the narration doesn't recall which one, but one of the sons of Ali bin Abi Talib, he wasn't amongst those who had fallen, but he had also come out, and the Prophet sees his grandson, Hassan or Hussein. So he similarly says, Hand me the child, and he puts him on the animal behind him. And this is the Prophet. I want you to have that visual. There are many people out there. I mean, we just had another terrible incident occur here in our country yesterday. There are many deranged people out there, Muslims and non-Muslims, who want to paint a picture of the Prophet ﷺ, covered in blood with a sword in his hand. With a lopped off head in the other hand. They want to paint this picture. There are lots of deranged human beings out there. Some who claim to be Muslims and some non-Muslim. Who want to paint that picture of the Prophet ﷺ. That's the image they want to invoke in people's hearts and minds when the Prophet is mentioned. This is the image of the Prophet. This is who the Prophet is. Sitting on the back of an animal with a child sitting in front of him who has just lost his father, with his own grandson sitting behind him on the animal, riding, and then the narration says, Thumma masaha ala raasi. Abdullah bin Jafar says, He was wiping over my head. You know how you comfort a child? kind of pat the child on the back. You kind of, you know, hold him around the shoulders. In their culture, a way of comforting the child was to kind of pat the head of the child. Kind of run your hand, you know, over the head of the child. And he said he ran his head, a hand over my head. And he was saying a dua as he was running his hand over my head, Abdullah bin Ja'far says. Allahumma khluf Ja'faran fi waladihi. Oh Allah, you take care of Ja'far's children. You look after his kids. That's the image of the Prophet ﷺ. Holding an orphan in his hands, comforting him, making dua for him, while his own grandson rides on the animal behind him. That's who the Prophet ﷺ was. But not only that, when the Prophet ﷺ arrived into the city of Medina and as news started to reach the homes of people having fallen, the Prophet goes to the home of Ja'far bin Abi Talib. The wife of Ja'far bin Abi Talib was a really remarkable Sahabiya companion of the Prophet, a very knowledgeable, very sage, very wise, pious woman by the name of Asma bint Umayyis. She had been preparing some food, some bread. She had bathed the children, combed their hair, put clean clothes on them. Hearing the news of the fact that the army is coming back, that my husband's coming home, their father is coming home. So she had cooked food, prepared the home, washed and bathed and dressed the children to welcome the father home. And the Prophet goes in and he sits down he has a very serious look about him. And he says, bani Bring me the children of Jafar, Abdullah and Muhammad, the, the sons. She says that, I brought him the two boys. Said, here you go, go to the Prophet And he says he took them both in his lap and kind of put, their, put his you know, head you know, kind of on their heads. And then he started to cry. So I said, Asma bint Turmay, she says, I said, Be abi wa ummi, I would give anything for you, O Messenger of God. Why? What makes you cry? an jafar wa ashabihi shayun? Did you get some news about Ja'far? The Prophet says, Naam Usibu They are no more. So she says, Asihu. I stood up and I started to cry screamed. And the women gathered around me. And the Prophet ﷺ, he, the narration mentions that the Prophet ﷺ came out from the home and he told other people that were gathered around there, لا تغفلوا عن جعفر. Do not forget to look after them. Particularly he said, أَن تَصْنَعُوا لَهُمْ طعاما. He taught us some real practical etiquette. He said, for the next few days, I need you to prepare food and send food to the house. They'll forget to eat. Come here, bring food here and feed them. فَإِنَّهُمْ قَدْ شُغِلُوا بِأَمْرِ صاحبهم Because they're dealing with the loss of their family member. The narration also, some of the books of the seerah and hadith, they also mention that that wasn't only it. But the Prophet ﷺ, after a few days, so one another narration mentions Aisha radiAllahu mentions that it was a, a day or two later, and she says this is a hadith of Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ was really, really struck hard by the loss of Jafar. Like it really hit him. Like he was like very visibly grieving. I could see it on his face. He had tears in his eyes constantly. He was really affected by this. And there's something very remarkable that I want to mention here. The humanity of the Prophet ﷺ is very important. It allows us to be able to relate to him, to find guidance in our experiences within him. So she says he was really grief-stricken by this loss. And someone came... To the Prophet, the Prophet had taught some etiquette. It's from the authentic sunnah of the Prophet. He had taught, he taught us as an Ummah not to make very overt displays of mourning. Yes, mourn as is natural. Cry and remember the person and deal with your grief. Lean on your loved ones. But not to make overt displays in the morning where people will scream and shout and cry and rip clothes and pull their hair and This was a habit of the jahiliyyah. Right? This was something they used to do in the times of ignorance. And the Prophet ﷺ said, do not do this. It's wrong, it's not good. And so somebody came to the Prophet ﷺ and said that there's some folks around the home of Ja'far that are acting this way. And the Prophet, he was really grieving. He was in a lot of pain. And he said, Tell them to stop. The person goes, comes back a little while later. They won't stop. They're doing it again. And the Prophet was kind of quiet. And he said, Just please tell them not to. The person goes, comes back a little while. They won't stop. They're doing it again. Aisha, she says, I was so furious. I was so angry that when that person, the Prophet again told him, told the person, tell them to stop. That, that time when the person left the home, she says, I went after him and I said, Argham Allahu Anfaq. What is wrong with you? Are you really that insensitive? Are you really that dull? You don't get it? I don't understand what you're trying to do. Matarakta Rasulullah min al Hadith Muslim. You can't leave the Prophet to grieve. Come here tattling? They're grieving. They lost a family member. He lost a family member. He's grieving. And you're busy about reporting. Oh, they're not doing this right. They're not doing that right. They're not. This is a profound lesson. Aisha radiyallahu anha teaches us. That sometimes we have the fiqh warriors in our community? Oh no. Are we allowed to do this? I can't tell you how many times. This is at some level me just kind of like publicly. This is like a therapy session for me. As in the position of being an imam of a community, I cannot tell you how many times I have a janazah sitting in front of me. I have family members who I have my arms around, who are crying on my shoulder. I'm standing in a graveyard burying a loved one with family members there. Tears streaming down their face. They're burying a loved one. And I'll have that guy. We're going to call him that guy. I'll have that guy who will come up and be like, uh, excuse me, uh, Imam, is this uh, the proper way? Uh, you know, Should they be doing this? Should they be doing that? Should they be standing here? Should they be standing? No, you should not be standing here. Forget about where they should be standing, where they shouldn't be, what they should be saying, what they shouldn't be. Why are you even here? Why do you exist? And we understand from the story of the life of the Prophet, you are a test for us. Every There is wisdom in Allah, all of Allah's creation, and the wisdom of your creation is you are a test for people. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala reprimanded this man. What's wrong with you? Wallahi Ma? She says, Look, Aisha, wallahi ma'a anta taf'al. What are you trying to do? Like she has no words for what this man is doing. And she's one of the most intelligent human beings that ever lived. And she's like, I don't even know how to describe what you're doing. Right? You need to just relax. You need to chill. You need to go pray. You need to go get a hug from somebody. I don't know what your deal is. And this is a very profound lesson. But it shows you the humanity of the Prophet He was grieving and on the other side, it shows you that be a human being. Be a human being. Try to understand the sensitivity of a situation. Try to understand the pain that someone's in. Try to understand the compromise that somebody's dealing with. You have people talking, giving fiqh advice to a homeless person. Oh, did you wipe over your socks? I'm homeless. I apologize. If I was afraid that I would freeze to death outside in the cold, and you do not agree with the wiping over the socks issue, I apologize that my homelessness troubles your fiqh. This is, this is from the sunnah, from Sahih Muslim, from Bukhari. This is the sunnah. This is our deen. We are human beings. The Prophet came to teach us to be human beings. That's the first and foremost lesson. So this is something very powerful that occurred here. But... Uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up and conclude this with the Prophet Wasallam. One of the most beautiful things about the Prophet Wasallam's character, or I mean everything about his character was beautiful and remarkable and miraculous, but one of the things that really resonates with me is the Prophet Wasallam's ability to be able to put his own pain aside and empathize with someone else and comfort someone else and console someone else. The ultimate act of self-sacrifice and selflessness. It's unbelievable. It just astounds me every single time. I was sitting there earlier today reading it and just stunned in silence, just staring at it for an hour. Even though it was the third time I was reading it in the last three days. But I just read it and was stunned all over again. In spite of dealing with Zaid's loss, with Ja'far's loss, with Abdullah's loss, grieving himself, the Prophet ﷺ a few days later, he goes to Ja'far's home. And he talks to his widow, Asma, Radiallah Qut, Asma bint Sir And he tells her, La tabku ala achiebadal. I miss my brother too. I miss him too. But no more shouting and crying and screaming. No more of this noise, the commotion. Try to kind of tone it down. You got you know, try not to make such a display out of it. I miss him too. I'm hurting too, but no more of this. He says, "Udu'u li ibne akhi He says, "Bring me my nephews. Bring me Abdullah and Muhammad." She brings the boys, and Abdullah who narrates the story. He says, "Fajia binaka anna afrukh He says she brought us, and we looked like. It's, it's, it's an example he gives. We look like chicks. You know, like baby chickens? Chicks. The reason why he describes it like that is that, you know, the chicks, the way their hair looks, it's kind of like shooting out in all directions. He said we look like that, meaning what? He's saying that we needed a haircut. Our dad used to cut our hair, but he was no more. And we needed haircuts. So you know kids, especially when their hair gets long, you get them ready in the morning, you clean them up, you make their hair, what happens 45 minutes later? They look like they came out of the dryer again. Right? Especially boys. Right? So, so he says that our hair was all over the place. Prophet sat down with us and he said, Hallaq um, Bring me, Bring me something to cut their hair with. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. سيد الأولين والآخرين. سيد أولي آدم يوم القيامة. سيد المرسلين. ممام الأنبياء. حبيب رب العالمين. Two boys who just lost their father. He says, bring me something to cut their hair with. فحلق رؤوسنا. And he gave us a haircut himself. And then he said, أما محمد Shabihu Ammina Abi Talib. He said, look at after he gave him a haircut and they were cleaned up, you know you give the kid a haircut and says, Wow, look at you, mashallah. You know? So he says, Oh, look at Muhammad, the younger one. Oh, look at Muhammad. He looks like my uncle Abu Talib. He looks like his grandfather, Abu Talib. Mashallah. Wow. And then he says, Wa Amma Abdullahi, Fashabihu wa and he says, Look at Abdullah. Look like me, huh? Nephew, uncle, huh? You see it? That's the Prophet. Think about what that must have done to that mother's heart. The calmness and the coolness that must have brought to her heart. And then the Prophet made dua. And he says, Allahumma khluf ja'faran fi ahli. Oh Allah, you take care of Ja'far's family. And put barakah in Abdullah. Allow him to become the man of his household and take care of his family. And the Prophet ﷺ, he, he made this dua three times. And the mother Asma bint Umais, she still looked kind of sad. So the Prophet ﷺ, he understood why she was sad. And he says to her, أَلْعَيْلَ you fear that they'll go hungry? You fear that they'll go hungry? Wa ana fi Dunya when I will look after them not only in this dunya but in the Akhirah. Sister, you got nothing to worry about. I got them. This is the Prophet. The Prophet consoled her. She said that do not cry over your husband. Allah showed me that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they cut off his arms, Allah gave him two wings, and he flies with the angels in paradise. This was the Prophet And what was that community like? The Qur'an says that after a woman has lost her husband, the husband dies, a woman is widowed, there is a waiting period, the iddah, for four months and ten days. When the four months and ten days completed, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu proposed to Asma bint Umais and took her as a wife and adopted her sons and cared for them and raised them. And they themselves had a son together, Muhammad bin Abi Bakr. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu the Prophet wasallam, would pass away two years later and Abu Bakr radiallahu would pass away two years after that. So four years later after marrying her, Abu Bakr radiallahu الله would pass away. So after he passed away, Ali bin Abi Talib, Jafar's younger brother Ali bin Abi Talib, then married her, took her as a wife, and again adopted her sons, and raised her sons, raised her children. This was the community of the Prophet wasallam. So with that inshallah, we'll conclude the session for this particular week. And inshallah, um, when we come back, then we'll continue on forward, uh, setting the life of the Prophet ﷺ. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that we've said and heard. Subhanallah bi hamdihi, bihamdik, bi hamdik, ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu